What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Exitazo Podcast. I have my guest. Once again, you guys know him, Dawson. He was on. Yep. He was on uh, for Ecclesiastes, and we had a great, great conversation. And today, we're actually going to be discussing the letter to Philemon or uh, Philemon. I know some people pronounce it as that, too. Yes. I always call it Philemon, though. I don't know why. I do, too. Yeah. I heard a pastor say one time, People talked a long time ago. We don't really know how it was yeah. pronounced, anyways. Yeah. Pronounce it how you want. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I just remember watching some video with uh, Tim Mackey, uh, and he pronounced it that way. But yeah, yeah, I, I actually don't know how to pronounce it. But that's the that's the uh, the letter that we will be going over. And do you have any thoughts on the letter, just from the jump, or anything that you're excited to talk about? Uh, it's one of the shorter letters in the Bible, mm-hmm. or shorter books in the Bible, and yeah. you know, so. I think a lot of people look at books like that and they're like, oh, there's not that much to it, right? That's very true, yeah. 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 I mean, it's not even worth a read. When you think about it, like when you look at some older books inside the Old Testament, like Jonah only being four chapters, yeah. I remember when me and you did a study on it, and it was like extensive. So much, more. So, much so, so much stuff. But uh, well, yeah, not, not to waste anyone's time, we'll just get straight into uh, the introduction of the letter of Philemon. Um, so with the introduction, just to state some pretty clear things or some things that everyone should know about, is that like Dawson said, the letter to Philemon is one of the shortest letters, not only inside the New Testament, but one of the shortest letters that Paul ever wrote. And with that being said, it was written sometime in the first century, more specifically around 61 to 63 AD. And it was also one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. Now, most scholars actually believe that it was probably written sometime in the summer of AD 62, which I think is very, very interesting. Uh, now, the place where it was written, they say that it was in Colossae, uh, since Philemon lived in the town of Phrygian. Now, I don't necessarily know where Colossae or Phrygian is, but apparently Phrygian is a town in uh, Colossae, which is where we have the letter Colossians. Right. Which is one of the places that Paul wrote letters to and did mm-hmm. ministry and stuff like that, which is how they ended up meeting Philemon, yeah. pretty much. Now, some interesting facts. So, I thought this was really interesting. This is the only letter where Paul does not explicitly talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's very interesting. Yeah. Very I significant. Thought, yeah. So, why why do you think that he did that necessarily? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Just... I, well, you know, something else that I was thinking is that it's one of the few letters that's direct, written to a direct person and to a person that you don't really see anywhere else in the Bible. Like, we have some, we have, he has a couple letters written to Timothy. Yeah. We see Timothy in other, in other letters and other things. We know that he was very close to him. Yeah. But Philemon's very different. And, and so I think because it's a personal letter to, there's, there's probably a, a, a level of understanding between them. And, and maybe Paul just understands that, oh, he knows this. He knows the basics of, of Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah. I don't need to go over that in this letter. Um, yeah. Whereas when he's talking to a whole church. That yeah, is true. Absolutely yeah. go over that. Yeah, that's actually like a really, really good point. Because that kind of shows one thing that you can kind of just like notice when you're reading this is because it's like written to like more, more of like a single little person. Mm-hmm you actually have like more of that relational type of thing. So they can kind of like call some things out about that person just instantly. It's very personalized. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 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 you're right. Another thing to also note too, is that at this time, as many patriarchs, Philemon owned a slave and the slave's name is Onesimus. Now, 
apparently with the context of understanding this letter is that Paul is writing this letter to Philemon and he's writing to Philemon about this slave that actually ran away from him. And on this time of when the slave ran away, Onesimus ran away, um, Paul actually comes in contact with Onesimus. Onesimus gets radically saved and becomes a Christian. And then through that, uh, we learn that there's some level of conviction to where Onesimus needs to apparently go back to his slave owner. But Paul writes this letter to the slave owner, which is Philemon, to actually show him the proper way of receiving back uh, this slave, Onesimus, Mm -hmm. which was Roman citizen. As we all know, many Roman citizens owned slaves, especially during that time. Slavery Mm -hmm. was not a new thing or something to look down upon. But what I do think is very, very fascinating is that this letter, I think, most explicitly shows the heart of Christianity and the heart of the Bible around the topic of slavery that I think a lot of people misunderstand. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So you want to get right into it? Let's, uh, let's do it. Yeah, let's talk. Let's read it. So do you want to read uh, Philemon chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, or yes. you want me to read it? I got it. All right, cool. Uh, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Acrippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I can I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. So what's your thoughts just right there? Uh, I think like we talked about, like, Obviously, this letter is very personalized, and he understands that this is a man of faith, so he doesn't have to go over the basics of, you know, Jesus' death, resurrection, who Jesus is, Mm -hmm. what they're walking in in faith. So I think he's already establishing that foundation of, you know, we understand that we're brothers in Christ, we understand the basics of our faith, and he's, you know, leading into building upon that in this letter. Yeah. I really, yeah, I really, really like that too. Some interesting things that I noticed, which was in verse 5, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And then in verse 6, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity, or uh, I think this is how you pronounce the Greek, which is, uh, I think, koinonia or kononye. I could be butchering that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's something like that. Um, and then that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all of the good things we have in Christ, which is epikinosis. Now, just to kind of go into this part right here with the first Greek word, kanonye. So it literally means to partnership or participation or some sort of fellowship, literally. And what I think, which is really fascinating right there, is that it also gives the idea of communion, which kind of goes back to Jesus having communion with us. Mm-hmm. And how pretty much the fact that he's a believer, calling God's people, the fact that he's a believer, it's it's like he's having to put into action the things that he now is. Like he's like right. a now a new creation. Like he has to literally start doing things differently mm-hmm. and treating people differently as well. Yeah. That's one thing that I've noticed right here. And then, so like we go back at verse 6, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. 
as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So, how about how about we just unpack that? What's your, what's your thoughts on that verse? Because I think that's powerful right there. I think the very end of it is interesting. It says, as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. You know, I think that can get twisted very easily. What do you mean? I think that can, well, I think that can, uh, I could see prosperity gospel Mm. advocates, like, pushing for that and going, oh, look at all the great things you have because of Jesus and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, what he's given you. Um, But understanding exactly what those good things are and what those mean. And that it's not, yeah. you know, earthly prosperity or earthly wealth or earthly this or that or relationships or success. Yeah. Um, as Paul is known, as it's uh, suspected that he was writing this while he was in prison. So uh, of anybody, he, he would understand, you know, exactly what those good things are and that they're more, they're spiritual, they're, they're, not, they're immaterial. Um, and that they come from f- his faith. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other important thing too is that you're putting into action what comes from faith, yeah, not the other way around, yeah, right mm-hmm. um, which is super super important, like you know that is the f- that is the basis of you know our faith and our understanding yeah. of of the gospel is that our actions come from our faith i think I think you put it really well with like that verse right there that it shows that you're not doing things to get to God. But you're doing right. th- you're doing things because God has already accepted you. Yeah. And what I like about this right here too is that that's like a actual like lived experience, and from that lived experience or that like that knowledge, that knowledge now now that knowledge that you have it actually raises a higher standard for you to actually now go and commit. Right. Does that like make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's one way like I kind of thought about it was like kind of just like being like so i'm i'm the oldest of like my three brothers right Mm -hmm. there were some things that i didn't know but as i got older and the more mature i became it wasn't that like i had to do more or that i had to be a great leader or had to be like a a good role model for my brothers but it was more of just like i'm just more aware of the circumstances and the results and the consequences of the actions that i do that now I have an obligation to make sure I don't do those bad things or right. make those mistakes. Does that like make sense? Yeah. And because I just have the knowledge, I'm not ignorant of it anymore. It almost like raises the standard of like, now I have um, an obligation to actually go and do the right thing. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, but the other person, you know, they could be confused. They can not really know what's going on. So there's like a level of grace, but it's like for the person who does know what's going on, it's like, whoa. Why didn't you do anything about it? Right. Does that like make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I kind of see that with this. And then even like with the higher importance of it's that experience, that experience Mm. that really changes a person that like you just really can't comprehend like in a sense if that if that like makes sense. Right. It's it's powerful. And that um, experience, uh, the Greek word for experience is actually epigenosis. Um, There's a quote or is it? Yeah, from O'Brien, where he says, uh, in the present context, epigenosis or knowledge conveys both the ideas of understanding and experience. Apostle's prayer was to not simply, uh, was not simply that Philemon might understand or appreciate the treasures that belong to him, but that he might also experience them, which I think is extremely powerful, because when you kind of think about it. 
there's a lot of moments to where I would say when I read certain scriptures of, you know, the joy of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Or to um, dwell in the blessings of God and stuff. And there's moments to where I'm just like, what does that mean? Like, how do I actually like get that? You know, right. as a believer, like, how do I, like, what do I do? Do I pray more? Do I um, read the word more? Do I spend more time with God or meditate? Like, how do I actually go into that? And I don't know that answer. Yeah. I know that, like, when you do read your Bible more, when you do pray more, when you do worship and do all these things, you do actually become more, uh, I would say, not only aware, but I guess more sensitive to the aspects of God and feeling Him more present in your in your space and in those situations. But it's nice to know, like, when you read this, though, that you have access to it. There's no separation. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah, I think it's such a hard balance, too. Um I think I was reading a book by Tim Keller where he told a story of a woman that came to him and, mm. and said, man, I'm, I, I want to hear from God. I want to connect with God. And I keep doing these things. I keep reading my Bible and I keep praying and I'm, and I'm pursuing him and I just don't feel like I hear from him. And Tim Keller looked at her and go, okay, but are you letting him pursue you? Mm. That's good. And it's that pausing and waiting and sitting with who you are and letting God pursue you is where she, like, actually was able to connect with God and hear from God. That's really good. And so there's wow. such this weird balance of, like, yes, like, as Christians, as believers, yes, we read the Bible, we do these things to pursue God. But if we, if that becomes our pursuit and we don't let God to pursue us mm-hmm. and we don't let God come to us with where we are, then are is are we really pursuing the the actual god or are we pursuing a god that we think exists yeah right i really like that huh. i never thought about it like that i think what's also like really interesting about this passage of scripture too is that it kind of gets to the aspect of like the gift of christ yeah in a sense how like all these things are not things that like we deserve in a sense, but like things that we get to experience and be a part of. And I think what's even more interesting is that he's talking about this to a slave owner and he's kind of like setting him up a little bit in a sense to like pretty much say like, look at what Jesus has done for you. And now let what Jesus has done for you to flow out of you into this broken relationship that you have with this slave Mm -hmm. in a sense. And I think what's even more important is that it's it's almost like this letter is kind of calling us to put our faith into action, not just be that yes. Christian of like, oh, I'm just going to, I believe, but I'm not going to pray for anybody. Or right. I believe, but I won't tie to the church. Or I believe, but I won't go and talk to someone about Jesus. Or that friend that I know who is not saved and just does not love God. You know, I'm not, of course, I'm not saying like go and bombard them about God or bombard right. them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I would 100% say, though, that there is definitely moments and spurts to where you can have a conversation or you can have a open-ended conversation to where that person knows that they can come to you if they have any questions and they're comfortable coming to you to have those questions. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that those are like the moments that, especially like right here, that pulls kind of in our cultural uh, moment right now, that's kind of like what he's pushing at is, is mm-hmm. allow your faith to be put in actions to where it actually affects other people, but not just anyone, but the people in your personal 
or people that you are personally in relationship with. Mm-hmm. Does that like make sense? Yeah, and I think that's a that's a testing of your faith in the gospel too. Of okay. when you're sharing with people, something I learned a long time ago uh, is like the goal of sharing with people is not to save anybody. It's really not. We cannot. We don't. We can't do that. We can't save anybody, yeah. right? Our goal when I share with people is just to create an environment that they're willing to hear it. Ooh, that's really good. And so creating that environment, that is something we have some control over. And for them, then that just allows me to have faith in the gospel. That if I present the gospel clearly, I'm going to let the gospel do its job. That's the good news. There's no way that I can jazz it up or make it more convincing Mm -hmm. or do anything like that. Like, that's God's story. That is God's news. How am I going to make it better? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Dang, that's that's really dang good. All right, and we'll move on to Paul's, Paul's plead now. Uh, Do you want me to read it? Or? Sure, go ahead. All right, bet, bet, bet. So this is Philemon chapter 1, verses 8 through 20. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, was an, I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful, both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me, so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of doing anything, but do anything without your consent. Oh, my bad. I'm rereading that one part. So that your so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord refresh my heart in Christ. So what, what's what's your thoughts just right there? There's a lot right there, but what's, what's your thoughts right there? Paul's kind of funny. <laughs> I, Paul's pretty funny in this. He goes, uh, you can charge it to my account. Uh, I will take that debt. But also, you're indebted to me. <laughs> Let's not forget that. So we can, we can yeah. uh, balance the books later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Keep the score right there. Yeah, he, uh, he's keeping it straight with them. He clearly has a good relationship with this person that he's yeah. he's keeping straight. Although to be fair, I've never seen Paul pull his punches either. That is very letters. true. Yeah, that is very true. He he does let it all out. So I'll tell you right now some things that I just absolutely love. So the first part that I really like is how do I say this? All right. So let, how about we just break it up? So we'll just go from so like verse eight, and I'll just read. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. 
I think that right there is just shows Paul's heart and the fact mm-hmm. of like he's not willing to use his rank or his yeah. authority to basically tell Philemon what to do, but rather yeah. he's like appealing to him. He's um, he's um, I don't want to say like begging, but like in a sense coming to him like a friend would and just yeah. telling him like, look, dude, I'm not telling you to do anything, but I'm definitely trying to help you. But it's yeah. like out of love. It's almost like, um, like let's say you're doing something that you obviously don't supposed to be doing, right? And your friend comes and like checks you a little bit. He's like, mm. yo, dude, like, come on, bro. You got to yeah. step it up. You got to do something. Like you can't just sit here, sleep all day. You can't be playing video games all day. You can't be, you know, chilling and not working or doing something progressive, you know, yeah. something to progress your life. That's almost, I, I think, similar to kind of like what Paul's doing right here. But it's kind of different. It's almost like your dad yeah. doing that, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's like, I could tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like... But no, I'll appeal to you. I think because he understands that that'll have a greater impact. That'll have a longer impact. Because if he just tells him, here's what you're going to do in this one situation, what mm-hmm. happens when the next similar situation pops up? Yeah. I, I, I think that it not only speaks to that, but I think this kind of also speaks to how God kind of works with us, too. Yeah. Because, like, when you think about it, like, he's appealing. He's not commanding him. He's not um, uh, making him do anything. But rather, he's appealing to him. He's, he's how do I say this? He's, like, he's wanting him to do the right thing out of his own good heart rather than him doing it simply because he said to do it. Yeah. Does that like make sense? It's almost like he wants there to be a spiritual and internal change. And from mm-hmm. that internal change, he actually does the right thing, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that's like similar to like relationships as well. Like I feel like like if you're in a relationship and you're like wanting someone else to do something all the time and they do it, but they don't do it with like the right intentions that like can kind of mess up the whole mesh. Cause at that mm-hmm. point it's like, yeah, you did what you were supposed to do, but this person now feels like a, a burden in a sense. Is yeah. that like, does that kind of make sense? No, absolutely. And like you said, that is how God works with us yeah. because as we talked about like works and faith of like, if you're only pursuing the pleasures of life, then the pleasures become your, your focus of worship. Yeah. your God. But yeah. then if you're pursuing you know, good works or, or, you know, productive things, mm-hmm. basically become a stoic or something yeah. like that, where you're just pursuing that, then those works become your object of worship. Mm-hmm. But that's why we need to have Christ. If like Christ becomes our object of worship and through that is what leads to good works. Yeah. And so it's in the same way. It's like through this love, through this understanding that you have in your faith, I'm going to appeal to that because that is your object of worship. And from that, good works will come and you'll do the right thing here. Yeah. Man. What I think is even more interesting too is that he's calling Philemon to reconcile with his slave. Yeah. Which I think is like monumental right now. Not in the aspect that he's like telling him like, oh, like bring back your slave. Like of course, like a slave owner want a slave back. Mm -hmm. But like he's telling him, like let's just think about this right now. He's telling him to accept him Basically, as a free man, because as we know, Paul is a Roman citizen. He is a free man. Mm-hmm. He pulled that card many times when he was going into court yeah. and stuff. Um, if you're wondering when, just read Acts. It's in yeah. there plenty of times. 
Um, but yeah, and he's telling Philemon to accept him as a free person. I mean, that's that's just that's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. First off, inside this cultural time to where slavery was did not even bat an eye. I mean, talk about human rights. That was not a thing back then. That was right. not a thing like at all, especially during the Roman Empire. Like you couldn't just you could not just protest and act like, oh, I want my rights. I want this. No, they were like killing you right away. There yeah. was no like going against the emperor, going against the government like how it is now, Yeah, you know, which is mind blowing that he's doing this. And then on top of that, he's telling him to accept him freely and to not pay back anything or to not uh, hold anything wrongly against him. So in a way, you kind of see, even though Paul does not mention Jesus, he's living it out by his actions. And I think what's even more important too, that this kind of like reminds me of is is the aspect of like a reconciliation. Like one, I'm gonna be honest, like one thing that like, I feel like kind of bugs me just like a little bit is that you hear so many Christians talk about forgiveness. Oh, we gotta forgive. We gotta, you know, not think about it anymore. Toss it, all, toss it away and that's it. That's mm-hmm. all you gotta do is just forgive. But what we miss out so much is that it's not just forgiveness we supposed to reconcile as well. Right. And we see that yeah. multiple times, especially like with this. Paul could have easily said, hey, just forgive him. Let him go. Let him do his own thing. He's fine. Yeah. But instead, he not only says forgive him and not pay any debt to him, but then he goes on to say to reconcile this relationship, to make sure it's done well, to make sure it's done right, which is mind-blowing. And then, mm-hmm. he, and then in verse 11, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful, both to you and to me. Which is even more fascinating because now I think what he's kind of referring to right there. By the way, he's also like playing a little. He's he's playing on words right now because Onesimus in the Greek means use useful, mm. something useful. So yeah. Onesimus being a slave, he's useful. Mm-hmm. But he kind of like played that a little bit because he was like, no, he was useless because of the way you were treating him because of the way he was done in the old world. But right. now he's useful because now his works are impacting eternity, mm-hmm. in yeah. a sense, which is mind blowing. And I think that right there is the power of reconciliation, is when you forgive, you're getting rid of the debt. You're getting rid. Of, you're or not necessarily getting rid of it, but you're actually saying, "I'm not going to allow this to dictate or affect how I love you." Right. Does that make sense? And then the reconciliation part is, I would say you allowing the Holy Spirit to recreate the destruction that was done through the sin. And yeah. In a sense, like to wash away what was going on and to fix it and to allow it to flourish and have great experiences after that. Does that, does that make sense? And I see that right here. What, what, what's your thoughts on like all that necessarily? Yeah, I mean... No, I think I think you you hit it with like he is useful now because he's impacting eternity. Like he is now, um, he says he's like welcome as you, as you would me. Like Paul considers him a son. He considers him you know a partner. Mm-hmm. It's like now he's useful to us because he's impacting eternity. He's going beyond just the the menial task that you had for him before. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and you're right. I think I think slavery in this context is so fascinating, um, and especially in our in our current culture context, we have such a different perspective on slavery than what was looked at here. Yeah. No. That's that's actually facts. That's completely true. 
Matter of fact, do you actually want to talk about that real quick? Sure. Because so, I know like a whole bunch of people are like, slavery? The Bible supports slavery? That's... Oof. Yeah, that's a... Let's just say that's a completely misunderstood topic, actually. All right, so now like talking about the Bible and slavery, um, I definitely feel like that's a concept that a lot of people get like very wrong and I'm going to be honest, it's a just a completely misunderstood topic. What... I'm actually curious, what is, like, the most wild thing about that topic that you've probably heard, like, relating to the Bible and stuff? Oh, I hear I hear people say that the the Bible supports slavery. Oh, that's it? That's about it? When it comes to, like, that topic? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the most common, like, yeah. wild thing I've heard. Yeah, no, dude, I've, I've heard that Christianity is the white man's religion. That, yeah, that's I know. That's Yeah, that is very, if, if anyone does not know, uh, Christianity came out of the Middle East. Okay, where, mm-hmm. you know, white people are not really prevalent in, if that, like, makes right. sense. <laughs> it's more darker-skinned people, Middle Eastern people. It says unfortunate paintings of white Jesus. That's yeah, a, yeah, that is very true. But just getting straight into it, though. Um, so I got a quote by Sam Harris um, talking about the Bible, and he said, In assessing the moral wisdom of the Bible, it is useful to consider moral questions that have been solved to everyone's satisfaction. Consider the question of slavery. The entire civilized world now agrees that slavery is an abomination. What moral instruction do we get from the God of Abraham on this subject? Consult the Bible, and you will discover that the creator of the universe clearly accepts us to keep slaves. Okay, who is Sam Harris? So Sam Harris is actually a big time, uh, like I think he's a yeah he's a big time atheist. I do also okay. he's a neuroscientist, um, just a very very smart man. Mm-hmm. I would say great philosopher. I actually like watching some of his videos. He's he's really really yeah. cool to watch. Not hating on Sam Harris at all, but I will say though that this is very disheartening to hear, especially um, hearing him talk about this. I remember watching one video uh, with him talking to Ben Shapiro actually about the Bible and about um, religions in general and how they're just uh, not too useful. Well, he wasn't uh, – let me let me say this. He was not saying they were not completely useful, but he was just saying they're probably not the best route at all. Mm-hmm. I don't want to misquote him or mis, you know, represent him. But I will say with how intelligent and how smart he is, this is very disheartening to see on how just blatantly, like, wrong he is just on this topic. I mean, right. this is – Honestly, I don't even hear too many atheists besides him or anyone else that really brings this up just because it's if you read it in its context and actually take the time to look at it, it's just not true. So the passage that he reads or suggests to read is Leviticus chapter 25, verse 44 through 46, which says, As for your male and female slaves, whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are that are around about you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourner with you and their families that are with you, who have been born in your land, and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brethren, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one over another with harshness. Okay, so let's just talk about the logic that most people probably would use in this in this moment. Right. Because I will say that does sound pretty bad. doesn't sound too good. Yeah. So the logic that typically goes is that, oh, the Bible, tra- the Bible translations do have the word slave and talk about slaves. 
The Old Testament seems to give no objection to having slaves. The New Testament does not command the release of slaves. Um, and slaves are told to submit, which we have into the New Testament as mm-hmm. well. Therefore, Bible texts ap- approve of slavery. We know that slavery is wrong, just the modern person. The Bible not giving any clear stop to it, therefore the Bible must be wrong. And because the Bible is wrong, therefore God is not good. Right. That's typically That's, yeah. how it goes. Uh, my thing, first off, just looking at this, is I first want to look at when was this written, who was writing it, and is this seen the same way that we saw it? Because typically when we use the word slave, like I know from the jump, I'm instantly thinking of the Atlantic slave trade. Like yeah. straight up, just, just from the jump, people capturing one another, people doing things like that, you know, harshly treating slaves. Um, uh, honestly, the next thing that comes to my mind is sex slaves, mm-hmm. sex trafficking, all just a whole bunch of like horrendous, horrific things. Right. Honestly. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, though, is that a lot of that stuff happened before this. Or my bad, a lot of that happened much, much later after this. And so what I think is really interesting is that the first thing we should think about is, is it inherently wrong for someone to be doing forced labor? So what I think about is prisoners. Mm -hmm. There's many countries that have prisoners do forced labor because of the things that they committed. Is that wrong? What are are your thoughts on that? Uh, Man, that's interesting. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think there's a... There's a lot of, of messed up systems in, inside prison systems. There's oh, of, yeah. There's course, a lot of data of to show course. that rehabilitation yeah. works a lot better than punishment. And so then then if you're looking at work, forced labor, uh, you might consider as, as punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, unless there's, like, maybe there's training involved or something unlike that, then maybe you can consider it rehabilitation or something like that. But um, I think it's an interesting topic. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll just tell you my, my view. Yeah, I'm going to just keep it real with you. Uh, if we're talking about prisoners or, like, a rapist or serial killer or just someone who's, like, obviously, like, has done the crime right. and needs the punishment, things, like, in that situation, I think there's no problem with having forced labor in that in mm-hmm. that scenario because that's the punishment. Yeah. Just like no one would have bat an eye if a serial killer went to prison and spent his no, life absolutely. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's, it's like, yeah, of course, that, that should happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so from the jump, we can just automatically say that right there is somewhat of a level of slavery. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think that is really interesting. And then not only that, what's fascinating is that that's actually different from the type of slavery in this context with the Bible. So we can actually get into it right now. So the understanding yeah. of the word slave in the Bible is heaven. Now, what does heaven mean? What is heaven? Uh, and how is that done inside the Old Testament or inside the Bible in general? So what we actually learn is that it doesn't mean slave. It actually means servant. And what I actually found even more interesting is that it's not entirely a negative term like how we see it. Right. And then it is related to work, and it does mean subservient. Um, But what is interesting, though, is that uh, I even noticed even that way of seeing subservient is actually very different from the way we see subservient. Mm-hmm. So uh, would you say that like subservient is like definitely someone beneath you, like not equal, nothing like that. Just, 
completely. Uh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. That's that's I would say that's the same way. Like I, I've s- that's how I would see subservient mm-hmm. as well. How we're not equal. Someone's below me. They don't get the same rights, or they don't get the same attention, or they don't get the same privilege. Right. Right. Well, in excuse me. In this context, um, what we actually find is that they did see each other as subservient, but not in the same way as that. So, for example, what I mean by that is, um, let's say I have my brother, right? And I'm older than my brother. I have more Mm -hmm. wisdom. I have more experience. I have more um, just time on this earth to help give him wisdom. Mm -hmm. Now, would I say my brother is subservient to me? Obviously, inside this modern time, no, I wouldn't. He's completely equal to me. Matter of fact, the only reason why I'm telling him to do stuff or uh, giving him advice or anything that's more of like a mentorship type of role is out of love and to help him, mm-hmm. if, that, if that like makes sense. Yeah. I would say that's actually more of like how that word is understood inside that time paper or that's how it was supposed to be understood mm-hmm. or how that was the intent of it. Another thing, too, is that they actually saw everyone being subservient to something or being a slave to something. And I think that's even more interesting, too, is that they saw the people being servant or slaves to the king. Mm -hmm. And the king was a servant or slave to God. That's actually how they saw the role or the word slave back then. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, if you actually look into the Bible of any moment to where you see the word slave and you look to the original Hebrew and it says hevid, that right there actually means servant. And the only other time where you actually see slave getting to the level of how me and you understand it as like horrendous, horrific, right? Right. Is in Exodus. Exodus, where it starts describing what's happening to the Jews, what's going on. And ironically, it uses the word slave. And then it uses all this other context to try to express what's actually happening just because this slavery is very different than this type yeah. of slavery yeah does, does that make sense yeah for sure because they just don't have the the separate words like how we did back mm-hmm. then does that does that like make sense yeah i think even when you're talking about the subservient um it's always put in a question of like well in what ways is that subservient like i'm subservient to my boss my yeah. boss has more responsibilities mm-hmm. my boss gets paid more my boss has more experience I do what yeah. my boss says. Like that is yeah. how my job works. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I, I would. I would say the same thing with my parents. I'm. De- I would. I would. Hundred percent say I am subservient to my parents. Not in the way of like I'm below them or that I'm not of any worth or value. Right. But that they're older than me. I'm going to take their uh, wisdom. I'm going to listen to their counsel mm-hmm. because I would say not only because that's the right thing to do, but because that's also the wise thing to do. And because, mm-hmm. in a sense, that's their role. Does that like make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say in the same way, that's a lot of how the servant or the subservient uh, view of the word was used back then, mm-hmm. which I also thought was very interesting because that also goes into um, what are you a slave to? Are you a slave to your own desires? Are you a slave to um, the culture? Are you a slave to politics? Are you a slave to something rather than God? Mm-hmm. And ironically, we also see in the New Testament, Paul calling himself a slave to Christ because yeah. Christ owns him because Christ laid down his life as a penalty for him. Does that like make sense? Yeah, for sure. So I think this right here actually gets into some deeper, like uh, I would even go as far as to say like intellectual type of things as well. It's like, what are you selling yourself to? 
what are you becoming a slave to? Mm-hmm. Are you becoming a slave to porn? Are you becoming a slave to controversy? Are you becoming a slave to hot controversial topics that aren't really doing anything for you? Mm-hmm. Are you becoming a slave to gambling? You can become a slave to many things. Okay. And I would say that that is definitely um, the motif that seems to be happening in this time period mm-hmm. or uh, in this moment, at least ins- I would say inside the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew context and system of slavery. Yeah. Now, this is to not say that they did everything right and that the Hebrews didn't have a bad form of slavery. There could have been very well many Hebrews and many people that did not do the thing the, w- the way it should have been. I mean, if we just look at our own culture, there's people who's getting around laws all the time, mm-hmm. doing things that, that they don't supposed to be doing. Yeah. But I would say that that's a time to definitely look at that person and judge that person, but not judge the intentions of the text. Does that like make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, just one quick thing, too, is to kind of look at the essence of the system back then as well was if you look at Genesis 15.3 with um, Eleazar of Damascus, he was a servant or slave, and he was able to inherit things. Same thing with Jacob's servants, or you can also say slaves. They were also able to inherit stuff like that. Not only that, um, but we also have to remember that back then there was not immense amount of jobs to also do either. Does that like make sense? So it wasn't like I can just go and work for big tech or I can go and work at a bank or I can go work at a grocery store. Nah. Like it was either I was soldier, mm-hmm. blacksmith, farmer. Or That's you were working for one of those. Yeah, or you were working for one of those. I mean, there was not much you can really do. Domestic servants and herdsmen. That's really, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know what else to tell you. But um, what I think is also very interesting, too, is that the slaves back then, at least inside the biblical structure of it, was that they were allowed to travel with valuables, and they were allowed to also have weapons. Be honest with you. If I was thinking about slavery in the way that how it was done back then, that does not sound too wise to allow a slave to have a weapon. Yeah. Like, that just does not make any sense whatsoever, or to have valuables. It It just doesn't make sense. Um, and it also did not approve of selling of people or acquiring people, um, but in exchange for silver. Now, that's a little bit confusing. Um, so what that means is basically uh, – how do I explain this? This is, this is the one kind of pretty confusing part. So let's say something was to happen – with my slave or to someone else's slave. I had a responsibility to fix that, or the person in that context had a, pro- a responsibility to fix that. They would use silver in that case. In the same way, um, there's also another verse that talks about uh, the woman um, actually uh, getting hurt or the man getting hurt in certain situations, dealing with another person. They would say in exchange for the silver, so in this sense, this is a bad translation as well, mm-hmm. but in exchange for silver, they will get healed or they will get better or something like that nature. Does that like kind of does that make sense? I know it's kind of confusing. So if something happens to another person's servant or slave. Yes. That you would you would there offer is an silver to to help heal it or to help fix, fix that, that problem. Okay. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I know sense. it's like really really confusing, um, but I will say actually that there is a video that does go in contact 
or does uh, deal with this actually a good bit here. Let me actually try to find it. Henry Gary. I would say Peter J. Williams. Um, he is actually a lecturer at, uh, I believe, Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's a lecturer at Cambridge, and he has done immense work on this topic, actually. Uh, he's wrote many articles, done many lectures, um, and actually goes specifically into that whole area more specifically. I would just admit, like, I can't really explain it to the full extent, so gotcha. that's why it's kind of wishy-washy. Um, but he does deal with it a lot, a lot, a lot more. He goes into more detail about what this actually means, what it's talking about, what it's referring to. Gotcha. gotcha. But I do think it's interesting, though, mm -hmm. nonetheless. And uh, what you also notice, too, is the conditions of slavery in different systems. So if you just look and compare when it comes to the Old Testament and the Roman Empire, like celebrating holidays, the Old Testament slaves were allowed to celebrate holidays. Romans did not allow their slaves to celebrate holidays. I believe um, in Western society they did. I'm not entirely sure though. Yeah, I, I don't either. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. But Old Testament slaves supposed to keep them keep their slaves fully fed. Not only that, actually, but the slaves back then they were they were supposed to be seen as family. They're supposed to be taken mm -hmm. care of. Matter of fact, actually, um, if you were to read a lot of the portions that do talk about slavery in the Bible. Right after talking about it, the same phrase that you constantly see brought up is, "You were once a slave in Egypt. Do not treat them as har Do not treat them harshly, mm -hmm. because you know how it was to be treated harshly." So it's that same concept of that golden rule, you know, uh, treat someone like how you would like to be treated, right. or love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, it's that same thing reiterated again and again and again and again after each time it talks about slavery. But we'll get more detailed in, like, verses that do talk about it. But sexual protection, kidnapping, chains, torture, physical abuse, all these things were not allowed, um, except for, obviously, the sexual protection. Women mm -hmm. and slaves were sexually protected. But everything else, kidnapping, torture, physical abuse, mm -hmm. you were not allowed to do at all, actually. Matter of fact, um, there is one portion, a lot of people like to quote this one verse, where it does talk about you hitting your slave or something like that. And they just leave it at that. Basically, you don't get any punishment. But ironically, if you actually keep reading, I believe it's in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 44, somewhere around there, um, where it does talk about slavery. It talks about a slave and you hitting your slave. And if the slave can walk the next day or something like that, you're good. You won't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. you won't. Yeah. You won't get any punishment. Ironically, people just love to not keep reading. If you keep reading... Right after that, it ends up talking about how if you were to hit a slave and that mark or something like that was to last longer or if it was to lose a tooth, then you get punished for hurting that slave. Right. Now, from the jump, I would obviously say that there's probably a cultural misunderstanding right there. If you're allowed to hit your slave and then on top of that, if the punt or if the say the punishment or something like that is too harsh then there's repercussions. So that means that there's no, you're not allowed to just do whatever you want to that slave. More in a sense of like, I would say a good understanding of it is almost like your parents uh, disciplining, disciplining you, you in a sense. Obviously, your parent should not be doing something that's like crazy, like abuse. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now, obviously, I know some people would say, 
a belt <laughs> and stuff like that is abuse nowadays. I was raised differently. I would just keep yeah. it a band, you know. <laughs> um, but some people would say that is abuse. Um, to the people who don't think it is abuse, um, it's it's slightly different mm-hmm. in a sense. It's more like disciplinary. Now, even in those situations, too, as well, um, that was even looked down upon culturally. <laughs> so even that was not like, uh, I guess, a thing that you were supposed to be doing. Right. Th- does that like kind of like make sense? It does. I still, I, I do think some people still look at it and say, no, it's still too far to even just to even hit, oh, you yeah. know, a servant or a slave. Yeah. Um, that, that's still too far. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, especially if we're comparing it to, you know, employees or workers today. Like, yeah. obviously you're not going to yeah. hit an employee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would definitely uh, agree with that. And with that, I would definitely say that um, that kind of goes into the more of like the cultural yeah. understanding of stuff too. Because even with that, like I would say, uh, for example, um, in different cultures, you have different levels of respect or different levels of um, to way to even communicate. Like a great example was I remember um, just at work, um, I was trying to help a customer and – in order for me to help him, I actually needed him to fill out a certain amount of things first just so I can get him into the system and help him out with some stuff. And because I didn't answer his question right away, or no, actually not even that, um, because I simply asked him to fill this stuff out first, he lost it. Like he oh, was yeah. he was like pissed. No, I, I mean like genuinely yeah. pissed. Like he was like stomping, cussing me out, like just yelling. Now – Obviously, that was like I would say because it was de- it was definitely clear that like he was from a different culture, right, and stuff yeah. like that. Because like the way he spoke, the way he carried himself, yeah, just the whole nine. Like you can ca- you could tell that he was mm-hmm. from a different culture. From that point, he took it as like disrespect the fact that I didn't answer his first question. And then after that, I actually did try to explain like I just can't do anything until you like fill this type of stuff out so I can actually help you with this particular subject. So, but because I didn't go straight into that. Could I have done better? Of course. But with other people, I would definitely say in this culture, uh, they didn't take it as disrespect. They just yeah. saw, oh, I got to do this first, and then we can get straight on to business. Mm. You know? He, on the other hand, took it as completely disrespectful. Like, I'd probably say I feel like more than that. It was it was crazy. Yeah. But, but I would definitely say inside that same way how um, there's, like, different levels of punishment or different levels of disrespect – I could kind of see that as well inside uh, the old te- the Old Testament system as well. Right. Not only that too, but I also uh, I feel like there was just a lot of stuff that was also more harsh. I mean, for example, uh, culturally, uh, I believe around Jesus's time, like if a thief was caught stealing, their their hand got cut off. Yeah. We obviously would not be saying anything like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, my main point is is to obviously not say that the law was perfect, but it is definitely to say though that. This is a different type of slavery than yeah, most that we see. A hundred percent, definitely different than what we saw, like, for example, in like uh, the movie Twelve Years a Slave, mm-hmm. or you know, some just other craziness. Does that like make sense? No, absolutely. And I think we people generally have like a cultural superiority, where they they yeah. look at other cultures through their culture. Yeah. You know, and you see other cultures that look at the U.S. and they're like, tipping? Why would you tip? That's know, actually very – yeah, that's a good point. You know, why would you do this thing? Why would you do that thing? Why do you wear shoes in the house? Why do you do these – you know, there's so many different things that other cultures look at the American culture 
and they go, why would you do those certain things? Mm-hmm. That's a little bit different now when you're looking at cultures, house cultures, and globalization of cultures have become a lot more similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a long time ago, so culture is going to look very different yeah. looking through our lens to looking at you know Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and even Paul uh, and Philemon of like, that culture is going to look very different than, than what we're looking at today. Vastly. Honestly, that's actually... I would say one of the biggest things, too, of, like, the different cultures between the Jews and the Gentiles, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Paul is getting to. Well, like, that's exactly what Paul gets into in the letter of Romans, talking about circumcision, yep. eating certain foods, celebrating certain Sabbaths, all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's a that's a fascinating point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, And then just thinking of, like, your own culture as the right culture just comes from a sense of pride. That There's is Some true, sort of pride yeah. issue under there yeah. Um, yeah, that's causing a, a skewed v- vision. Speaking of culture stuff, I actually have a list of uh, laws comparing the type of laws, too. Oh, let's get um, it. To where you can actually see the differences in which cultures are actually more similar than not, and then just how different uh, the Jewish culture was. Mm-hmm. So we got actually in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 through 16. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place which he shall choose within one of your towns, where it pleases him best. You shall not oppress him. So that's that's just saying if you find a runaway slave, you don't have to, you know, uh, return him back. Obviously, there is a reason why he's running away. There is something bad going on. That right there, I feel like, just is kind of crazy to even think about. Yeah. That's that you just don't think about that type of law, especially in a system with slavery. Mm-hmm. At least the system that me and you are th- the me and you are thinking of. Right. That's it's for, to that idea of like, if they're leaving that situation because it's bad, then they probably don't send them back to that situation. Yeah. But it's like we're talking about slavery here, so clearly there is a different slavery because yeah. apparently there is a good slavery and all right slavery. Yeah. <laughs> you know that people aren't running away from. Yeah. It's. That's, and I, like I said again, it, it just it, it just goes back to the words that are being used. The, I yeah. would say the cultural and historical baggage with the word slave and slavery. Because mm-hmm. I, I want people to know, like, we are not supporting or no. in support of any slavery at all whatsoever. No. It's strictly on the aspect of what is the Bible teaching and what are they referring to when they say slavery. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't even like unpaid internships. <laughs> 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 I'm not going no, yeah. to like <laughs> slavery. Yeah, I didn't even think yeah. about that. But uh, you got Antebellum South, a USA law, which says failure to deliver back escaped slave of suffer six months prison and fine a $1,000. That's wild. That's crazy. $1,000 yeah. at that time is insane. Yeah. That's, that's so much money. That's wild. And then you got the law code of Hammurabi, law 17, which says if anyone find runaway male or female slave in the open country and brings them to their master. The master of the slave shall pay him two shekels of silver. Now, from the jump, I've heard many people talk about how the Hammurabi Code is super similar to the Mosaic Law. That's just also another not true statement. Yeah. Pretty sure if anyone was to look up... Matter of fact, I actually highly suggest go and look up the Hammurabi Code, read it, and then compare it to the Mosaic Law. You'll find many many differences mm-hmm. um not only that the Hammurabi code also uh was probably um 
I don't want to say too close, but pretty close to the same time as the Hebrews. And these laws are completely different, just completely different. Right. And then you also have a law from South Carolina, uh, South Carolina law of 1740, which says, and it shall be further enacted by the authority aforesaid that if any slave who shall be out of the house or plantation where such slave shall live or shall be usually employed or without some whiter person in company with such slave shall refuse to submit or undergo the examination of any white person. It shall be lawful for any such white person to pursue, apprehend, and moderately correct such slave. And if any such slave shall shall assault and strike such white person, such slave may be lawfully killed. Insane. Sheesh. Absolutely insane. You know what's wild, too, is that, like, that sounds horrible. And then you compare it to the verse in Deuteronomy— it's like what, what, what is going where, on right now? Where do now? we go? Where do we go from Deuteronomy where it's like, oh, this is pretty reasonable for for the ethics. To yeah, just for go the ethics, way down the drain by oh 1740. It like got worse. It was so like much worse. it's it's this is wild. This is crazy. And the sad thing is, is the people this time are using the Bible to justify that. Yeah. Law. Speaking of that, That's yeah, what's crazy. you know what's even crazy, too, is that, like, when you actually look at the Bible that they were using, um, you can actually look this up. I would actually highly suggest if you're at the um, uh, Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., they actually have the Slave Bible. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and it has massive portions taken out of it. Yeah. Speaking of this verse right here, actually, it has this verse taken out of it. It has a majority of Exodus taken out of it. It has multiple verses in the New Testament taken out of it. It's wild. Mm-hmm. And ironically— you know, people are saying, oh, the Bible supports slavery and all this other stuff. The truth is, if the Bible really supported slavery, they would not have taken so many verses <laughs> out of the Bible. You wouldn't have to change the Bible. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have to change the Bible in order to get it to support your opi- yeah. your, your position. It's just, it's it's wild. It's wild. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's craziness. And then you also have a commentary from Job, which I also think was very, very interesting. Um. So in Job chapter 31, verses 13 through 15, Job, this is, you know, him going through all of his stuff. He's trying to figure out what sin he committed. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, he actually brings up the aspect because he had many bond servants and many servants or slaves. And in this moment, he's actually bringing up a form of sin to where he's asking God, like, did I sin against my own slaves? Did I treat them harshly? Like, God, examine me. Like, you know, what did I do wrong? And he's bringing this up because he didn't. Why? Because it was looked down upon. You, that was not something you were supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and it says, If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he makes inquiry? What shall I answer him? Do not he who made me in the womb make him, and did not one fashion us in the womb? So, wow. You're not only getting that, but then you're also getting him identifying with the slave mm-hmm. or the uh, or the manservant or um, maidservant. He's that right there actually when you just think about it is so countercultural. One yeah. because Job is the oldest book inside the Bible and two it being the oldest book inside the Bible and yet Job when you read the story you learn that he's a very wise man, um, very uh, rich man and very free man. But on top of that, he is identi- he's he's 
showing that he's equal with the slave, mm-hmm. which was just monumental. That was not something that was understood, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, that's actually completely mind-blowing. Another thing that I would also like to look into as well is that the literary structure and the narrative structure of what the Old Testament has when it comes to dealing with slavery. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, a lot of people talk about um, the Old Testament law. One thing that I'd like to talk about is what was the purpose of the Old Testament law? And the purpose was to not only show us from our sin, but to regulate things. It was mm-hmm. to um, handle things that are not good, but to just regulate them so they don't get worse. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what we actually find too is that the Bible is not supporting slavery, but rather it's regulating it in a way that's separate from the rest of the countries. It's trying to show and give humans baby steps in the right direction. Which obviously in Western culture, you know, it's definitely sprouting up from Christianity and things like that, or having a huge influence of Christianity. We definitely see that now. Mm-hmm. You know? But to just get back to this point, what you notice too is in every occurrence where there is a type of slavery that me and you know, the type of slavery that's how, uh, you know, America was or how Western society used to have it. Just right. bad, horrendous. Mm-hmm. That's still around. Complete, there's still yeah, it's millions still, of slaves. Yeah, there's yeah. still millions of slaves. But just like that form of it, the Bible makes it very clear. And then on top of that, the Bible not only makes it clear when it's talking about those type of things, but it also shows the negative results of those mm-hmm. situations. Not only that, but you also see this with polygamy. I've seen many people try to show how the Bible supports polygamy. When ironically, every situation where you see polygamy, it's not good. Mm-hmm. There's not only sins going on, but then on top of that, there is broken. There's broken relationships. There's heartache. There's horrendous acts being done to not only women but just people in general. It is horrible. And the point of the Bible recording these things is to show that it's not good. Yeah. The Bible is not going to shy away from showing you the reality of human beings and what they do to one another. Yes. It's going to show you how bad it is and how much we need Jesus to be to, to fix it. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? And yep. that's exactly what we see with slavery. So just to see the intent, we actually see uh, Jesus. He gives a commentary on the law of Moses and divorce. Mm-hmm. It says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 8 through 9, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, um, uh, it goes the same way for women as well. I don't want people right. to think, yeah, I don't want people to think like, oh, you know, a man could just do whatever he, yeah, you know. There's but, been unfaithfulness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Both sides. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But right here we see Jesus commenting, showing the intention, showing the heart of what it was actually supposed to be. He's giving a comment on divorce, how it was to properly be done. Mm -hmm. And even in that case, like he's saying like, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not what it's supposed to be like. You're supposed to be one. You're supposed to be married. It's supposed to um, be a vow made to God that is supposed to be honored at all times. Yep. Does that like make sense? Yeah. So even this divorce that was regulating divorce, even in this instance, it was not something that was supposed to be happening. It shows that fracture in the system. It shows that fracture in the nature of human beings and and the dealing with sin and what sin does. Mm-hmm. Does that like make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's in the same way with slavery. When you go back to Genesis, what do you see? Everyone is equal. Everyone is created in the image of God. No one is more than no one is more valued, more valued or more worth than anyone else. Yep. It's the exact same thing right here, which is why the Hebrew structure or the Jewish structure when it comes to serving, you know, or slavery um, is done so differently is because they're not seen as a slave as we would see them. Mm -hmm. They're seen as another person creating the image of God. And, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of um, other points as well. But I do have one quote that I actually would like to really check out. Um, So you got a quote from Warren Risby, and it says, The Lord chooses to change people and society gradually through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the truth of the Word of God. And I actually really, 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 really like that. Because it shows that God is not going to make a quick fix to something, but he's going to hit the root of it. Mm-hmm. and actually make a change right. rather than just putting a Band-Aid on something. Right, which goes back to how Paul communicated with Philemon. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think what's really fascinating with Philemon is that it not only shows the heart of where the Bible's stance is on slavery, mm-hmm. but it's also showing how this is not just on this situation, mm-hmm. but the fact is, is that this is on every personal relationship. Yeah. That aspect of a reconciliation, that aspect of fixing what Satan or what sin has torn up and messed up. One way that I like to think about it is, uh, I would say, when it comes to me reconciling relationships or dealing with certain things, I always try to think of what is Satan or what is sin trying to disrupt that I know is going to be glorifying God. That's the way I think about it. And then, even when I don't want to do anything about it, because there's definitely moments where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just don't want to deal with it, mm-hmm. is moments to where I think, man, if I can just fix this relationship, all of the great experiences and all the great memories are going to be so much better than this. It's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. I just know all the things I'm going to experience with this person. I'm going to be happy that I went through this rough patch. Yeah. Does that, does that like make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, what would you say is probably the most difficult thing when it comes to reconciliation? Um, I think the most difficult thing uh, uh, is just kind of that moving forward. And cause that, that forgiveness and moving on without, without reconciliation is, I don't want to say easier, easy, but it is a lot easier. And that reconciliation requires a lot more work and it requires a lot more process. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is a process, but there there is a kind of a point of like, okay, you kind of move on. Whereas that re- reconciliation extends that and makes it a much more laborious progress. And you're reliant on somebody else too. Yeah. Like you're relying on that other person to be receptive of that reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um in a way. And so giving up that control of the situation is really difficult um, to, to work through that reconciliation. Yeah. How do you think this plays in the relation between like uh, marriage or relationships or uh, friendships? 
What do you mean by that? Like, um, what would you say? Here, how about this? Do you think that you should always try to reconcile a relationship? And what does that actually mean? Does that mean not letting boundaries? Does that mean uh, always mm-hmm. going forward, even in certain situations where you probably shouldn't go forward, like the parameters around it? Does that make sense? Yeah, a little, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, oof. Got you with that one, didn't I? Uh, I, I do kind of think there are situations where reconciliation yeah. is not a factor. I think there are situations where you've tried, you've reconciled over and over again, and it's just going back into the same pattern where I think you, you finally forgive and you, you move on. Okay. Um, but again, that's the first choice. The first instance, it's always you go to reconciliation. You go to the forgiveness reconciliation. It's only after that has failed multiple times that that you let go of that what do you mean what do you mean by that i think if you you have a situation with somebody a friendship or or a relationship and something happens you forgive you reconcile you work through it and then the same thing happens again Hmm. i think when you start to get into a pattern of behavior that disrupts reconciliation okay is this would you say that this is like an abusive type of behavior or not necessarily. I mean, it could be, but I wouldn't say that necessarily. Okay. I would say I think reconciliation doesn't mean the relationship has to be the same way it was before. Yeah, but I agree that there should be boundaries set. Yeah. So I would say a great example would be. Let's say there's like two friends, right? Bad blood end up happening, got into a huge argument or something like that. So mm-hmm. Just something bad happened. Uh, rumors. Just Let's just say something happened something. to where someone was really hurt and the other person didn't mean for it to be hurt or mm-hmm. the person didn't really care. They both communicate, work together, figure out what was the problem, and they both figure out um, or they reconcile. And so what I mean by that is they apologize, forgive one another, and are acceptable or respectful towards one another now. Mm-hmm. Now, the relationship or the friendship is nowhere near the same as it was before. Right. Like they're not hanging out all the time. They're not doing stuff together. Nothing like that. But they're not avoiding each other either. Mm-hmm. They're willing to um, at least check up on that person. Like if, if they heard about something or thought something went bad or something mm-hmm. like that. The relationship is good enough to where, excuse me, if they can check up on that person or be there for that person in any way, then it's capable of happening. Mm-hmm. I think the only time when you should not be reconciling is in the in the matter of like if it's like abuse or putting yeah. your life in danger or putting someone else's life in danger or yeah. anything like that. Because the way I think about it is, especially when you read this portion right here, Paul is telling not only the slave owner to accept Onesimus, to accept this slave, but to treat him like a brother in Christ. He's yeah. treating him, he's telling him to treat him like a family member. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So he's comparing, when you go into the faith, when you become a Christian, you guys are like family now. Mm-hmm. You can't just kick your brother out. You can't just treat your brother like trash. 
Like if your brother does something messed up, you're going to have to fix that relationship because you're going to about to be around him all the time. I think it should be that same sort of mentality. Now, obviously, there's like abuse or drugs or, you know, right. some crazy, you know, obviously th- that cannot happen. Mm-hmm. That is like, I would say it's the same thing with like marriage and stuff. Like, obviously, if you're being abused, mm-hmm. you know, or your spouse cheated and stuff in those extreme situations, yes, you should obviously get a divorce. And it's biblical, too. Um, in the same way with these relations with people, you should be striving to fix that fractured relationship mm-hmm. because that's your family. Yeah. There's no longer, Oh, you know, it's just another Christian. Like, oh, I'm good. No, 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 no. When you put your faith in Christ, when you became a believer, when you accepted Jesus Christ to come into your life and to change everything, mm-hmm. you now are not doing it for that other person. Yeah. I wouldn't even say you shouldn't be reconciling because you want to reconcile or because, um, because, uh, uh, it's for that other person to make that person feel better or to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. No, you're reconciling because that reconciliation is a point back to what Jesus did with reconciling us from mm-hmm. sin. I mean, reconciling us to the Father. Mm-hmm. Changing everything and bringing us back to Him. That's what I would say is the reason why you're reconciling. Yeah. And I think when you focus more in that way, I think you won't only put so much pressure on yourself, but I would say you go into it more with the right intentions because it's not out of selfishness or in um, a people-pleasing demeanor. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Because you're honoring the promise. You're honoring um, what Jesus Christ did for you. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think people mix up rec- reconciliation and forgiveness very easily. Yeah, uh, and I think it's easy easy to like part of part of reconciliation is forgiveness. Like there has to be forgiveness in there, mm-hmm. right? Um, and but but rebuilding some sort of relationship. You know, I think I think sometimes the view is each person is better off without the other involved. Like that's a common view mm-hmm. of like they're better off without me. I'm better off without them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul Paul makes it pretty clear here. Like you said, like there is a a family there. There's a relationship there um, that can't be ignored. And that reconciliation isn't easy, but it will lead to a healthier life with that kind of reconciliation. Yeah. It kind of kind of points me like a model of a like a, kind of like a, that aspect of like love, in a sense. Because, like, when I think of reconciliation, I instantly think of Jesus and what he was doing. Because we obviously sinned against Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, we did not obey. We did not listen. Then when I think about it, we're sinning against him every day. Yeah. And every day he's constantly reconciling. Mm -hmm. He's constantly putting it away and going after us, loving us, being there for us. And to put that in perspective, I'm just like, who am I? To just, you know, 
oh, my friend messed up, did something that pissed me off or that, like, just completely, like, you know, made me mad. Eh, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to, no. Yeah. Like, I just think, like, who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, in that moment, I feel like I'm going to follow my own desires rather than what the gospel is calling me or what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do in those matters. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of gets into, um, I would say, like, the attitude of, yeah, I think a lot of it is actually the attitude of, like, selfishness. A lot of it goes back to, at least in my perspective, I think a lot of it goes back to selfishness. The aspect of, like, people just are uncomfortable they don't want to deal with what's going on because it puts them in stress, anxiety, or an uncomfortable situation. And for them to appease that uncomfortable situation, they would rather go with the easy road, the road, the easy road out, and just not deal with it at all. What do you, What do you say? Because um, I feel like this does somewhat connect to when Jesus sends his disciples two by two, and he says, "If you go to a city." or town, and they're not accepting, dust off your shoes and leave. Mm-hmm. That feels, I, I I think there is some sort of aspect in that of reconciliation of like, if you're going to reconcile and they do not respond, mm-hmm. dust off your shoes and leave. Yeah. I have nothing against that. I'm actually really happy that you brought that up because I would say with that, kind of like, Similar to um, the aspect of like, you know, like if it's something extreme, you obviously break it off, Mm -hmm. you know? I would say with that, one, in that context, they were not believers. Yeah. You were, you know, in this context, this is a believer. Mm -hmm. And the slave is a believer, too. Right. When finally, I mean, yeah. But I would go as far as to even say, when you try to reconcile, there should be no enforcing or no, right. none of that. Because even with this, with Paul, he didn't force, he didn't pull his rank and his authority yeah. over Philemon. He appealed to him. Mm-hmm. In the same way, um, you kind of do that with your friends. You do that with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You do that with your parents. You do that with your brothers and sisters. You do that with any person that is in close relationship with you, you appeal to them and do not come at them with uh, some level of authority or rank. Mm-hmm. Even if you do have that, I guess, socially. Right. Um, yeah. I think I brought that up because you, you mentioned like thinking about Jesus reconciling with us, mm-hmm. but he, he's pursuing us when we were not believers also. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there's a little bit of difference between us reconciling with each other and Jesus reconciling with us because he will continue to pursue even when we are not receptive to it. Yeah. What I meant by that is, but he won't force us. He will not. He will not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. not force us. That's what I mean. And I think that right there is the dividing part. Yeah. I think that, yes, you can try to reconcile, but that should never get into, like, we have to do this or we have to do that or, like, you need to come right here. I think also, too. Always be, like, open to... You don't just keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just come to reconcile and they go, no, and then you just... You just keep going. You just keep trying to reconcile. They have not receptive to you. Dust off your shoes and you leave. You is this with a part. random person or is this with a with a either? 
Believer? Yeah. I don't know about that. I would say I would say this. I would say this. I would say I'm thinking that we're kind of saying the same thing but in different word in different ways. Cuz I would say uh you don't leave with it when specifically when it's with another believer. I would say you don't leave, but you are always open to it. Uh yeah, I have to, yeah. Yeah. I think you're open to it, but I I don't think you continue to try to reconcile. I don't think you continually go to that person. Oh, okay. That makes oh, okay. I, I would say yeah, I would say that that's like still um reconciliation though. Because um the way I see reconciliation is that I think when you completely cut off reconciliation is when uh that person has tried to uh fix it as well and you are completely cutting it off. Right. Like you're not yeah, having yeah. anything to do with it. Because I would say like if that route is not working, then obviously you try a different route, which is mm. You back off a little bit. Yeah. You wait for them to come. You, yeah. you know, be open to it in the same way when it comes to evangelizing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The person who's super sensitive and does not like talking about God, you obviously don't keep talking to them about God. Mm-hmm. You wait for the right moment. You know what I'm saying? You show love. You show compassion. You show mercy. You show grace. You, you know, do things for them. You, you know, you just try to show and show them the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. I would say in the same way, you do that with your actions, with those type of relationships. And in those ways, your actions are showing that that you are trying to pursue reconciliation with that person. It just looks different. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. What would you say? Like you're still kind of like on the same lines with that. Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. yeah. I kind of felt like it was kind of like the same thing, but just slightly different. Because I would say, like with Jesus, I think that's how it is. I think, um, in that way of him constantly reconciling, I'd say just with my life, I was not always saved. There was there was a moment where. uh, I almost gave up my faith, you know, mm-hmm. and almost became an atheist, ironically, reading Sam Harris and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I almost gave up my faith and stuff. And in that moment, um, I didn't, you know, Jesus, did he just up and leave? No. He gave me space. He, he was like, I'm going to be here. Mm. I'm going to be here waiting for you. You know? Uh, he, there was no moment I felt like in that, there was no moment in time where I felt like he, his hand was not there. Right. Showing that, like, he's there and he loves me. Right. In a sense. Right. I get it. I th- yeah. Yeah, I think you're you're always open to it. But reconciliation is an action. And so I think if you go to reconcile with somebody and they're not receptive to it, you do not continue to attempt to reconcile with them. You leave the door open. You let them. Yeah, I would definitely say that. Space, yes, yes. But you're not continually going back to them. Yeah. If it looks like as in, like, you constantly you know, bombarding them with questions and let's set up a time to talk and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's that one saying? If you keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, no, oh, okay. that's insanity. Yes. I, w- I would say yeah. basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, would de- I would definitely agree with that. I would 100% agree with that. But I just don't want people to think that like, that means, oh, I'm just not going to do anything. I think that you should definitely do something. No, after that that's only after yeah. you attempt to reconcile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you think? How do you think this relates to marriage? I have no idea. You I'm not married. I'm not, married. I'm not even gonna attempt to to get into that. I mean, I I do believe there's obvious reconciliation in marriage, but I I 
will not attempt to go into any details about that. That's fair. I don't know. I think I think that there is a lot that can be I think that there's like definitely a lot that can be uh, shown with like this uh, that aspect of marriage and uh, reconciliation. Obviously, I'm not saying like anyone staying in marriage is like abusive or you know like obviously things that are just extreme. Mm-hmm. But I do, I would say though that I do think that that idea of constantly striving, constantly pushing, constantly putting forward the other person, being others focused rather than self-focused is at the heart of reconciliation. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's also at the heart of marriage, friendships, family. Yes. And relationships in general. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, in this culture now, it's like all about self. It's all about self-love. I need to figure out what I'm going on with. I need to figure out what I'm doing, what I want, what I need. And it, I feel like that makes relationships so transactional. Yeah. Which I think is the problem with a lot of relationships now. Mm-hmm. Is that, not saying that you don't deserve those things. Like, of course, you like you definitely you know, should be getting those things. But I think the image that I see with Jesus is that it should be built on the fact of, you know, you're just doing this stuff because you just love that person so much mm-hmm. and you're not expecting anything in return. And in the same way, that other person should love you in that same way to where yep. they're not expecting anything in return. They're just doing it. Like I just think of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. like when we go and worship Jesus, like we don't, we don't think of like, Oh, I'm going to get a blessing. Oh, yeah. he's going to do something for me. No, like we're literally, we're literally just there happy to be worshiping in the presence of God. Yep. We're just there. Just mm-hmm. happy to be there. I think like that's that's the same way it should be, not only in like in marriage, but just in all relationships. And then when something does happen, that reconciliation aspect or that love can pu- push through and fix it or kind of like um, heal it in a sense. Mm-hmm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It's just that sure. it's, it reminds me of like a, that one verse uh, we love because he loved us first. Yep. That aspect of like that constant giving because that constant giving we get back, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And you notice right there is that we're not giving to get something. We're giving because someone else is giving. Right. It's Which like, is why reconciliation doesn't happen. Because as soon as you're not receiving something, it goes, oh, well, this is no value to me anymore. It's, it's, it really does suck. Like how much, how, how it's a self-centered culture has gotten and how much, uh, you know, like, you know, that saying, how like, uh, I think like some people would just say like pride is like at the heart of everything. Yeah. I just think of more and more like selfishness is definitely yep. like at the center of so oh, yeah. much. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, greed is, is just... I want things because I deserve things, which comes from pride. Um, well, I mean, gluttony is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, 
slothfulness is the same thing. All, all, I think all of it comes back to pride because you're putting yourself in a position greater than you are. Mm-hmm. And that just goes back to the, um, that concept of like back then, how they saw the slavery with the aspect of uh, known as actually, there was no, like there wasn't this category of free and slave. Like everyone was slaves. Yeah. Everyone was enslaved to something. Mm-hmm. And that like concept. And then you see actually in Exodus when it talks about uh, there's a spe- there's a specific specific verse, I think it might be in Exodus 21, where it talks about um, God wants them free so they can worship him. But that word worship, if you look at the Hebrew, I believe that word is also heaven. Mm-hmm. It's to serve him. Because those are his people, because he owns them. And I think that's very fascinating because it's like a lot of damage can come when we're not ultimately serving God, but rather ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when people start to actually think about how deep that that well goes they see where it splinters off and affects all of their relationships Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah i mean that's that's why such a big part of our faith is understanding just how messed up we are like we are like we're so we fail ourselves so many times and as soon as you're able to swallow that pill then you're able to look outwardly and go, okay, so what, what is good? What, what can I actually, uh, a, a better word for pride, but what can I actually put my pride in? What can I put my confidence in? Cause if I can't, I can't put confidence in myself cause I keep failing myself. Yeah. I keep struggling. Yeah. That's, that's actually, I like that. You know, where, where do you put your pride in? Are you can put your pride in yourself or are you can put your pride in Jesus. That's a really good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dang. So we'll just, we'll move on to uh, the last few verses uh, from Paul. Paul's farewell uh, in verse, and we'll be reading Philemon chapter 21, verses 21 and 25. And it says, since I am confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. Uh, Epaphras, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that. How would you pronounce that? Epaphras, I don't Epaphras, know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Arsitrus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Um... So yeah, that's that's the end. I do have a quote from uh, how would you pronounce that? Herbert Hybert. Uh, it might be Herbert. I don't know. Herbert, I'm not really, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure. But these two quotes, or this one quote, um, Paul held that prayer had an objective as well as a subjective value. He believed in prayer as a mighty working force in the spiritual universe. As such, he sought and valued the prayers of others on his behalf. And he himself faithfully exercised such intercession for the saints. Yeah, that's good. 
So mm. I think the biggest part right here is since I'm confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will be, you will do even more than I say. I love how he has just such um, such a positive outlook of him in a sense. Such he does. a high standard, such a high regard. Like he won't even he won't only follow what he did, but he'll do even more. Yeah, he's got that parent language down. He's got that. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Type of. I'll know you'll do even better than what I say. And what I love about this too is the um, the the separation back to like that separation with the fruits of um, I would say the fruits of the spirit and the fruits of the flesh, mm -hmm. like that idea of submitting to one another, appealing to one another. Um, Loving one another. I mean, we have we have some verses actually right right here, and uh, we got First Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, all talking about that type of stuff. Like for example, like First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse four: Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Is not boastful. Is not arrogant. Dang. And then first first Corinthians chapter thirteen verse seven through eight. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And you also have in Ephesians chapter five. I believe in verse twenty, um, this last verse, where it does speak of and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing, making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always of everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then you also have Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Dang. That's, yeah. And you just see all of that implemented right here mm -hmm. with Omnisimus and Philemon. Mm -hmm. And it's all centered around love. Oh. Just understanding love. Definitely shows that love is not, is not just thought, but an action. Mm -hmm. That kind of goes back to what we talked about last time, though. Yeah. And it goes back to... Uh, what the verse God is love. Yeah. You could you could reread all these verses and just replace love with God. Yeah. And it's got the the same impact. It's the same same thing. So what would be your uh your final remarks on this on this letter from Paul? Um I mean I think there's there's two big kind of aspects to this letter. Uh the slavery aspect of understanding um, what the Bible really says about slavery, what slavery was at this time. Um, and then it's very clear of, of not supporting of slavery, especially of the slavery that we typically think of. Yeah. Um, 
and then the other aspect of that relationships of understanding uh how to have healthy relationships how to be others focused um and appealing to god and to his love for us in those relationships and looking back to to him when we build our relationships with each other that's good that's really good philemon's good Y'all got it. Y'all got to read my layman. It is amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming. Um, if you really enjoyed this video, please like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next on the next uh, episode that we do.